Thanks for joining us today for the Post Traumatic Faith Podcast, a place where trauma, hardship, and challenge meet faith and hope for the future. Here is your host, Jill Riley. Welcome to Post Traumatic Faith. Season three has arrived. I am so excited to share with you this season new guests, new topics, and some great conversations. So tune in every week on Fridays. We will have a new episode. Also, this season, we will celebrate our 100th episode. So stay tuned for that. Just happens to fall on my birthday, October 28th. So we will have a big celebration. Thank you so much for joining us. And here's today's guest. Welcome to Post Traumatic Faith. This is Jill Riley. And today is a beautiful day because today we have Edie Nathan with us. Welcome, Edie. Oh, it's so good to be here. And where are you talking to us from? I am talking to you from New York City. New York City. Yeah. How is the weather in New York City today? Well, it might be chilly, but it is an absolutely stunning day. So, yeah. Wonderful. Edie is an MALCSWR. She is an author, a public speaker, and licensed therapist. She is an AASECT certified sex therapist, hypnotherapist, and certified EMDR practitioner with more than 20 years of experience. Edie earned degrees from New York University and Fordham University with postgraduate training at the Ackerman Institute for Family Therapy, and she practices in New York City. So that is a mouthful. It was a mouthful. Yes, you, I got to shorten that. <laughs> you've been a busy lady. Well, yeah, you know, there's nothing like uh, like just wanting to learn. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So tell us something that isn't in your bio about you. Hmm. So the, um, the, the impractical bio sounds something like this. I go into the cave. I invite you to join me. Mm. And if you dare to join me, then you will dare to join yourself. And once you do that, you face the shadows and you face that which you may not want to know about. And yet it is the very thing you must learn. And if you can go in with what is called Shoshun, which is the beginner's mind, then it allows you to be in that cave, willing to be curious about you. Mm, and I that's so beautiful. Do, I work like that. That is wonderful. You know, I think for so many the um, who haven't ventured into their own exploratory work, that cave can hold so much fear and angst because it it doesn't look inviting. It feels like a threat, right? Oh, so well said. Yes, it definitely feels like a threat. And the thing is, is that the, whether you walk into the cave or you don't walk into the cave, it's always there. You know, it is right. truly... It's part of Joseph Campbell spoke of the hero's journey, and it is that middle part of the hero's journey where you've left what you know because something big has happened. You end up in this cave where you do your battle and you become the warrior or the warrioress, and you battle, you know, your 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 words, your images, what keeps you stuck, your grief your loss, your trauma, 
And it, you keep finding yourself in that cave, even if you want to just put your head down and say, no, 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 no. But then you come out of that cave and you realize I've got allies and I've got enemies and that's okay. And I am a new and I'm different, although I'm still myself. Mm-hmm. What do you think keeps us as human beings from being curious sometimes about our own selves? What we don't know sometimes feels safer, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. And so we want to stay in uh, uh, the gray area rather than in the knowing area, because to know something, once you know something, you can't unknow it. Right, right. So true. Well, I think uh, in my own journey in in therapy, there was so many, so many landmines, right, where I felt like it was just going to absolutely capitulate me. And instead, it opens up the possibilities of knowing oneself, knowing myself so much better, and uh, allowing me to learn to be curious, and question and accept things that I never imagined. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm so glad that you had that journey. I'm so glad that you were willing to go into that cave with your eyes wide open and and make those moves because look at who you are now, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And so the the cover of 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 my book it's grief one of the things that you see is is a figure, not necessarily male or female, standing at the edge of a cliff. And then there's like a hand. And and it's like the hand is waiting for that figure to make a leap. And I think of grief and the work of trauma and the work of, 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 of kind of dealing with that which challenges us that one must, must, must to take, take a leap of faith. And mm-hmm. the leap of faith, whoever catches you, and maybe it's whatever you believe in, whomever you believe in, maybe it's yourself, maybe it's a friend, that that hand is what catches you, but you can't, you know, you got to make the leap to know that you're going to get caught. Right, right. Well, to be clear, and anybody who's listened to this podcast for too long knows that I kind of ventured into this journey kicking and screaming. And um, my, uh, my self discovery has, uh, has been a process. And I think the thing that has been the the biggest gift to me is people to walk alongside with me. You know, you talk about about that which catches you, but I I feel like I've had both that and people to journey with me, and isn't that a gift? Mm, yeah, and and the way that you frame that, the picture of that story of yes, there have been people to catch me, but there have also been people to walk with me. I wonder, and and I pose this question to you just out of my own curiosity, if you first needed to learn that there were people to catch you before you could walk with them. Boy, what a great question. Um, Yes, I think there's some truism to that. I needed to, in my my, um, falling apart, as it were, knowing that there were people to who upheld me and my system and my um my relationships and and my world people people who um 
who were there, I think I needed to realize that before I knew that they were willing to journey. So I think that's true. Yeah. That just gives me chills to think of. Yeah, absolutely. So I wonder, um, as I'm talking about people who journeyed with me, what do you think is the most difficult part for you as a therapist and one who walks with others? What is the most challenging part of that work for you? I walk a lot. And when I'm walking, Sometimes I'm I'm in different parts of the country, and I was on one of my walks in um, in Florida. And as I'm walking, there's this huge bird. I mean, it was huge, and I really I learned that it was a sandhill crane. And so I stopped because whenever I'm I'm in nature and I have the opportunity to see a bird or a rabbit or whatever whatever is around me. Uh, I stopped to kind of honor them and honor their presence. And so this, this bird, you know, like was, was, I don't know, three or 400 feet away. And I certainly did not want to scare this bird in any way, but I thanked it for its presence. And I walked a little bit closer and then it hopped toward me. And then I walked a little bit closer and it hopped again toward me. And we were like, so, so, so close until, until I realized that it only had one leg. Oh, and I was like, oh, my gosh, you only have one leg. And yet you're out here and you're thriving. You don't look hungry. Your feathers don't look, you know, ruffled. You know how birds who are ill, their, their feathers look oily and ruffled and kind of sickly. And, and it just looked, it was just so, so, so healthy. And, and to me, that's the work. It's being able to see from a distance, stop, appreciate, and that as trust builds, you get closer and closer to be able to see something that may be missing. Mm. Mm. And isn't that a, I, I think it's both a skill and a gift for those in the field that do your work to be able to see that which is missing, which we often can't see ourselves. Yes. And if there's something missing and then I see how well this, this Sandhill crane is doing, I think, wow, this, this beautiful bird has something very special. This bird, and I'm going to call her she, has some kind of superpower. So mm-hmm. if I see the missing part, I know there's a superpower. Mm-hmm. And so the role, I, my role, is, is not to change you, but to remind you of who you, who you are, who you were before the missing piece, and that we all have missing pieces. And it's how do they either bring us down? How do we dance with them? How do we find our superpowers because we've lost some part of ourselves? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So what in your work prompted you to focus on grief? There are times in one's life that they keep getting messages. And I'm not talking about the woo-woo kinds of messages. I am just talking about 
things keep happening that remind you that that you need to be looking at something. It's like an awakening. It's 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 something that is undeniable. You know, there's a knock on the door, you ignore it. There's another knock on the door, you ignore it. And then finally, by the third knock, it's like, okay, I need to go see who's there. <laughs> I'm right? paying attention now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so in a way, it, it, I I would say that um, grief and 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 death have been with me really since I was very 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 young. I was curious about it. I was interested in it and I don't know why I can't tell you there's nothing that that really happened and then there were a series of things that happened not necessarily deaths but certainly losses or pain that was both traumatizing and painful and filled with things that I couldn't describe until I got a little bit older I realized, wow, you know, those experiences, being bullied or being overweight or, or having things just really go wrong in so many different ways or growing up in a hard family, growing up with a father who was depressed, that there was grief all around me. And then losing, losing my partner uh, when I was 27 years old. And there was nowhere to go. And I realized, oh my God, like I, I, I need help. And there was no one. The, the messaging I got was, don't worry, you'll find somebody. Don't worry, you're young. And that was really the wrong kind of messaging. And so the trauma of that, the trauma of the abuses and the, and the bullying just culminated into a conversation that had to be had. And it, I realized, okay, so there's the grief in loss, loss of a loved one. But then there, are, what about the grief of the loss of self? What about the grief that happens when you've experienced trauma or sexual trauma or, or some kind of abuse? Mm -hmm. And so it became a much, much bigger conversation. And the book that I wrote, It's Grief, really addresses not so much uh, abuse, but just the different kinds of grief and the phases that I see people going through with their grief. And if you were to look at the, the responses that people have when they're grieving and the responses people have when they've been traumatized, they're almost the same. Interesting. I want to come back to that. So let's, let's remember that, put a put a bookmark in there. Um, I was going to ask you, pardon me, I was going to ask you what experiences in your own life uh, inform your work on grief, and you've already kind of touched on that. Do you feel like those experiences of grief and loss, do they inform your work or do they open up that grief and loss again in a painful way? I take pause because I don't know that any of us are immune to um, the pain or the, the memories that can come up in unexpected ways. Mm -hmm. As a clinician, I, I, I have my boundaries and I know that the stories that are coming in are not my stories. And I don't, I wouldn't say that there's a disconnect, not at all, but it is a connection where I've got myself intact. Now that does not mean that I can be walking down the street 
and uh, an aroma can waft through the air and I'm triggered or somebody says something and I'm like, oh my God, that sounded like, and I have a visceral physical reaction. Is it as bad as it used to be? No. And I am human. And it brings me back to my own humanity of how, why I got into this work that I don't want people to be in pain. And the differences are, is that it, when, when I, when I started on this healing journey, my own self heal healing journey, I didn't, I wasn't aware of it, but I'm aware of it now. And I'm actually writing about this in my second book called sexual grief. And it is about how we are taken hostage and we're taken hostage by our memories and by our kinship to those memories and our identification to those memories and that we need to learn how to kind of become hostage negotiation um, experts and um, and negotiate with that with the hostage takers, mm-hmm. which are the memories and and are the the triggers. And so when the trigger comes in, I'm like, oh no 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 no, you know what? I hear you. Thank you for the reminder of where I come from. And you, you've reminded me, but you are not all of me. Mm-hmm. And that's what I hope to be able to share and teach and navigate and dance with, with my clients and with groups and with, as I, as I speak on this topic. You know, isn't that the truth that uh, triggers can be a reminder, they can be a gentle reminder, they don't have to be catastrophic, or some cataclysmic event where all of a sudden you're, you're completely sidelined, it can be a, a gentle breeze in our lives. Yeah, it can be a gentle breeze. And it's like, oh, Yes, I needed to remember that for whatever reason in this moment. And it can be the strangest, weirdest thing. I, I, yeah. Just a couple of weeks ago, we, we, we sold our house and, and we moved and I was carrying books and, and I was a scattered child, you know, I was very much scattered and I was carrying these books out of the car and like paper was dropping and all of a sudden, I was just reminded of that girl who was so scattered and couldn't get her, her, herself organized because of her trauma. It wasn't because she was just having a scattered day. And I was, ta- I was taken there so fast when that piece of paper fell to the ground. It wasn't a smell. It wasn't, it, it wasn't something that someone said. It was an action that, that was in my body. Mm-hmm. And then I was able to laugh and say, wow. You know, I used to be that kid, but the difference is, is that I have my husband here and he will pick up that paper and he's going to give it to me without a chide, without any kind of retort and just say, how can I help? And Mm -hmm. then it's done. Yeah. And how can we teach ourselves to look at those moments with gratitude rather than um, reprimand? Ah, the judge, right? Yes. Oh, the fateful judge, the critic, as they creep in and make so much noise. They they are so noisy, aren't they? Yes. And so the first 
hostage negotiation technique or, and the first stage is to learn how to listen. And so what I would invite your listeners to do is to listen, not with judgment, but with curiosity. Oh, you decided to show up right now. I wonder why. So I'm going to take a, a deep breath right now. And I'm going to listen because maybe there's something that I need to be paying attention to, i.e. maybe you showed up right now because there's a, a date that's coming up that I need to be aware of that could be a trigger date. And so you are actually giving me ample warning that I've got a trigger date. Or maybe it's that I didn't eat today because I was doing some kind of self-punishment and that I, my blood sugar is going down and I actually, I need to, to nourish my body right now. Or maybe it's, I've been too alone today and I need to reach out. And so if, if you start to listen and you think about where you are, you think about the time of month, you think about who's around you, who, who you need, they could, those messages can really help you to navigate through not being taken over. Mm. Well said, well said. So for the purpose of definition, uh, tell us the difference between grief and sadness and depression. Uh, how do those things interrelate and how are they different? So I see grief as the umbrella. Okay, my lens is grief. So... With, under that umbrella of grief, there can be depression, there can be sadness, there can be anxiety. So grief is a felt sense of something lost. It is yearning for something that cannot be replaced. Doesn't mean that what you've lost cannot find ways within you that you, you hold what you've lost. You can still be nourished by it. And yet there is a yearning for its presence when you grieve someone. But if you grieve also something that you've lost within yourself, you're also grieving someone. And it is a part, the parts of you that don't feel full or nourished, leaving you hungry, leaving you unsatisfied, dissatisfied, angry maybe depressed. Mm -hmm. So I, again, I, I use the framework of grief as something that you have lost, that you cannot get back. And yet, and you yearn for when, when, when someone comes into my office, one of the first things I ask is what are you yearning for? Not what's wrong, not what is your story? What are you yearning for? Because if you can let me know what you're yearning for, we can, we can start to work on what your promise is to yourself, what your plan is, rather than something's wrong. Mm. Okay. So depression and sadness, you know, I'm going out on a limb here. I feel like we use the word depression and the idea of depression too often. It's not Absolutely. precise. It's become synonymous with I'm sad. It's synonymous with anything that doesn't feel so good. Yep. Right? Yeah. I agree. So I want to really eke it out. I, I want to say, if you're going to use the word depression, 
yeah, there's depression and there's a lot of different ways that depression is clinically diagnosed. Okay. When I think of depression, the truest form of depression, you're down a very, very slippery slope. You, you have trouble getting out of bed. You have trouble functioning. You have trouble concentrating. Your focus is really off. You don't really want to be with people, or maybe you only want to be with people, but you're not really present. You, you often people don't want to eat, or they're just they're they're just stuffing themselves. Sleep is, if not possible, it's 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 you, you either want to sleep all of the time, or you it's a, it's a, it's a or you or you can't sleep at all. And so I see it as extremes. And yes, is there something in the middle? There's always things in the middle. Depression can occur monthly. It can occur with a, with a woman's menses. It can occur because of a lack of sunlight. I mean, these are all forms of, of depression, hormonal depression. So, so I, I just want to be careful about the way that we use it because then there is malaise and then there is sadness and sadness, what I think differentiates sadness from depression, number one, depression is really hard to live with, if not impossible to live with. Sadness, I'm happy when a client says I feel sad, because sadness is something one can live with. It won't take you down. Mm-hmm. And it's something that can be very much intermittent, and you can identify this situation makes me sad. And I can be in the sadness without losing myself. Well, I think there is a, obviously there's a difference, which is what I wanted you to be able to articulate. But I think um, sadness is something that is part of the human experience. Not everybody is going to live with depression as part of their experience. Is that, would that be accurate? That's true. That's true. And Again, because we overuse the word, if we could just get into some precision, it would be great in terms of what we experience. And we've 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 taken the language of emotion and we've kind of broken it down into four, you know, words: um, love, you know, anger, um, depression, and and fear. And you know, and I'm not saying that those are the four. But there are there's so many wonderful descriptive words. I'm frustrated is different than anger. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm anxious is different than I'm excited, but you can be excited and it can feel like anxiety. Yeah. Um, right. And and anxiety can 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 really disrupt your nervous system. And and yet, you know, anxiety can also propel you and 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 push you to maybe do something that you might not have wanted to do. So, you know, as we speak about trauma and we speak about grief, we speak about loss, I think it's important for us to talk about how do we get to the precision of of describing what is really going on. Right. And I think for those of us who live with depression or have lived with um, either situational depression, but you know, I have a major depressive disorder and dysthymia. And um, I think for those of us who live like that, the utter blackness that is at the pit of that is indescribable. And it is, um, it is to see no hope and no light. And 
And that is vastly different from sadness. And so I I find myself um, at times kind of guarding against uh, feeling frustrated with people who are like, oh, I'm so depressed and feeling like, oh, I just wish you understood what you were saying. Yeah. So that's where I get actually excited about how we can move within the different roles that we play in our lives. And we play so many different roles, you know, right now you're interviewing me Mm -hmm. and you get off and, and then you become a teacher or a parent or a partner, or, you know, you or or a negotiator or a navigator. And so what would happen if, when someone uses that word that you, if comfortable, um, could have a teaching moment. And this is what I talk about with people who are grieving. If someone does something or says something that hurts you, then, then how about saying that doesn't help, but I'll tell you what would. Yeah. And so, you know, and I've learned this through people saying, Oh, but you're only 27. It was like, no, you, you know, that doesn't help me. What would help me is, you know, you, you take, whatever time you need to take to heal. And I'm here in whatever capacity you need me. And that would well, help. I think it, it can be very a very loving and generous conversation to do that. I, I just was thinking when you were talking several years ago, uh, before I was more informed about this, I used the word retarded. And I had a friend who um, has a disabled son and she pulled me aside and she, in a very direct and very loving way, said, let me explain to you why we don't use that terminology. And it was a teaching moment, like you're saying, and I have never used it in in that regard ever again, because somebody took the time to help me to understand perspective. You just said it. Somebody took the time. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're talking about here. Yep. We would just take the time to have those direct teaching moments. Oh, my goodness. Yes. You no. Know, talk about walking with someone, you know, she took the time, she took a chance. Look, you could have gotten defensive. You couldn't, could, a lot of mm-hmm. things could have gone down. Yep. Instead you decided, decided, Oh, I can have a beginner's mind right now. Mm-hmm. And that beginner's mind could, okay, thank you. Now I know I I'm not going to use it in that way. Yeah. And so I got it and I appreciate this. So, yeah. you know, you share obviously to your, to your listening audience, you know, the, the depths and the darkness of your own depression and what you've battled. And so when someone says, Oh, I'm so depressed. What, you know, to be able to say, let me tell you about depression because I wouldn't wish it on you. Yes. Yes. My experience with it is so dark and bleak. And actually, you look pretty good to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. Um, so let's go back to the stages of grief and how that's similar to the stages of, of trauma. Uh, talk to me a little bit about that. So I don't really talk about the stages of grief. And um, 
And I talk about the phases, the stages of grief actually were brilliantly written by um, a wonderful doctor. And all of a sudden her name just <laughs> left. I, this is not good. Um, it'll come to you. It'll come to me. So um, she wrote these five stages and they were specifically for people who were dying. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. And Elizabeth Kubler-Ross wrote the five stages of dying and they were brilliant. And oftentimes what people do is over the many years that her books have been out there, have taken her five stages, which are pretty linear. You go from this to this to this as you're dying and then you accept and you then leave your body. Um, the reason that it, that's so important is she brought the conversation of, of, of dying into our world because we just wanted to deny death. So grieving people who are survivors of someone that they've lost, their grief is not linear at all. It does not follow any kind of linear pattern. And I am so thrilled that you asked the question because it gives people an opportunity to say, wow, so if I have someone I love who's dying, they're going to be going through those five stages. And that's really important for them to know. And while they're going through those five stages, I'm probably not going through those five stages. I'm probably going through something completely different. Mm. And I'm my first phase is emotional armor. And that emotional armor is exactly what it is. It's where numbness lives. It's it's where it's 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 where hysteria lives. It's where protest lives. It, but it's 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 kind of the first place you go to, and it's the place that I see that we we go back to. It's where we we come back to ourselves. We come back to just kind of. I got to take a breath. I want to go numb. I'm. I, all I want to do is cry out loud as loudly as I want. Or I want to just deny, or I want to just be in my despair. Fine. That's where you go. And usually as you're moving through the different phases, it's not one after the other. Sometimes they they love to bundle. You know, you've you've heard of buy a bundle. Well, there they are. There it's the emotional bundle. And anxiety comes in and anger comes in. And they're just they're just having just a, a time and they're playing havoc with 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 your soul they're playing havoc with the anger and the rage that comes in and just manifests in huge ways and again this is part of that that hero's journey that i was talking about so trauma you know definitely has different stages but again those stages they don't they don't follow any one path they're all over the place. Right. And you can you can have no memory of a traumatic incident of having being having having been abused, sexually abused, emotionally abused, physically abused. You may not have any memory of hiding under a bed or having a, a drunken parent. Um, 
or being thrown out. You may, because the brain wants to protect you. And again, you know how we were talking about those triggers, those, those, those triggers. Well, you know, Jill, when those triggers happen, they can sometimes happen in the most inopportune moments. And all of a sudden a memory that's been buried, buried deep comes up. Right. Takes your breath away. And all of a sudden, all of that start the stuff starts to tumble out. And you don't know who you are. You don't know where you are. You don't know what just hit you over the head. And it is so intense. Mm -hmm. And that's trauma. Yeah. You know, in the Western world, we want to be so linear and we want to be so um, algebraic about our life, right? Instead of saying these things are not prescriptive and they're not um, orderly, they are part of, again, the human experience and part of life that doesn't run on a clock like we think it does. That's exactly right. That's, and there is, and I love that you just brought up clock because there's no timeline. There's no timeline for grief. There's no timeline for trauma. And it's, it's not about fixing it because I don't know that there's a fix, Mm -hmm. you know, it's how you're going to carry it. Right. Are you going to carry it like you got rocks and like you're in quicksand or are you going to carry it knowing but sometimes there'll be pebbles and sometimes there'll be stones and sometimes there'll be rocks and you just need to stop and take a breath. Right. And sometimes you need to reach out. And depending upon one of the things that I talk a lot about in the book is, is like, who are you? What kind, what, what kind of a person are you? Are you an introvert, an extrovert, an ambivert, which is a little bit of both. And based on, kind of that assessment and there's no right or wrong because we all have a little bit of everything in us, but it will, it, it, it can help you figure out, well, what's going to be best for me? What's the, what's the best kind of help? Do I need a group? Do I need to talk to an individual? Do I need a little bit of both? You know, it's, am I a fixed personality or am I cardinal or cardinal or am I mutable? And again, once again, it's like, Okay, so if you've got a big boulder, and let's say that's trauma, you know, a fixed personality is going to come to the trauma with a chisel and, 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 and start to try to just chisel it away. You know, the mutable will say, come on, I need a whole bunch of people to help me break through the boulder. And the cardinal will climb up the, the boulder and say, okay, I'm on top of the boulder and look at what I got. And, and, and it's really good to know kind of who you are, because when you know who you are, when you've got that sense it can help you figure out, well, these are the tools that are going to work for me, maybe more than some other tools. Meditation is great for some. Me, I can't sit and do meditation. It, it, it's actually disturbing. You know, it doesn't work for me. However, when I walk, I do a walking meditation. I'm, I'm very much in sync with my breath. I'm very much in sync with the way I'm moving my arms and my legs. And I feel like I am totally letting thoughts in and out. And it's, it's a walking meditation. Mm -hmm. And I think to look at it in that way as different tools that we use, just everybody has a different toolbox without prioritizing that or without passing judgment on each other's tools. right? Right. That's exactly right. I mean, look, I see grief as 
as, as individual as your fingerprint. Your fingerprint, Jill, is different than my fingerprint. And, and, and our fingerprints are different than the whole world, you know? So grief is like your fingerprint and the way that you deal with it, the way you live with it, the way you dance with it is going to be very, very, very different. Yes. So I'm curious, uh, how does, how do you introduce or what role does spirituality and faith have in your work as it relates to grief? So whatever one believes, if it helps them navigate these very messy, messy, messy areas that we're talking about, because they're messy, they're not pretty. And if that faith helps them, it is great. There is something within the world of spirituality called spiritual emergencies. Mm -hmm. And that spiritual emergency is often misdiagnosed as depression or anxiety or person has, you know, lost themselves. And instead it's really a, uh, an emergency of the spirit, of, of, of faith, of belief. Again, perhaps it is faith in the self. Perhaps it is faith and belief in a higher power. How could this higher power allow this to happen? And then it gets shifted. The grief can sometimes get shifted to that higher power. How could you let this happen? And part of the grief the phases of grief is forgiveness. Mm -hmm. And so part of the spiritual emergency is also saying, well, where can I forgive myself? Where can I be forgiving so that I'm not holding on to this in such a way that um, by holding on to, to the anger, to the rage, and to the lack of forgiveness, that actually the anger that I have at that other gets turned on myself. Mm. And I think that's something important to refer to when we talk about forgiveness is it always is it isn't always external. Many, many times, a lot of the times it is an internal process and an internal dialogue, right? That's correct. And and so, you know, in in, in cases of trauma, it may not be I forgive that person for hurting me, but it may be I forgive myself because I couldn't defend myself in that moment. I didn't know, and I forgive myself for not knowing. Mm. And I, I can let this go. Letting it go doesn't mean I forget. Perhaps it means I remember more peacefully. Mm, powerful words. Powerful. Well, Edie, tell me a little bit about the book. I want to hear more. So uh, the book is called It's Grief, The Dance of Self-Discovery Through Trauma and Loss. And uh, it, it really covers a 
so many different aspects of grief. It talks about these 11 phases that I've been talking about in here. It also talks about, um, about the me, myself, and I section, which is all about, are you fixed, mutable, cardinal? Are you an introvert, an ambivert? Are you over-distanced, under-distanced? There are stories, there are tools, and I have a workbook that's almost finished that will be coming out soon. So uh, this book talks about grief, not just about the loss of a loved one, but the grief that we have in our lives, the grief perhaps even over losing someone that everybody wanted you to mourn, but maybe you are relieved. And I even talk about what we don't want to talk about, that there could be relief, that that partner being gone, that you feel some relief and it's okay. And it is really a book about permission, the permission to, to grieve many different parts of what you've lost, of who you are, and how you get back to the self. Mm. And where can people find the book? You can find it on Amazon. You can find it in most bookstores. And if they don't have it on the shelf, you can always order it. And if you go to my website, you can also order it through the website. Uh, if you sign up for my newsletter, there's a way for you to let me know that you heard me um, speaking with Jill. And if that's the case, then I have a monthly journal that goes out and it is just called notes to self. And it's fairly blank. There are prompts on every page and I'll send you, you know, that the, the journal. That's you great. Know, so is the website Edie Nathan? It is edynathan.com. E-D-Y-N-A-T-H-A-N.com. Yes. Wonderful. Well, I have completely and thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and I feel like we could have lots more to talk about, but time is up. (laughs) Thank you. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation with you, you Jill, and this was just, just delicious. Thank you. Well, if you want to know more Edie Nathan, go ahead and check out our website. And of course, we'll put links to the book in our show notes. And um, you have a great day. And thank you again, Edie. Thank you, Jill. If you enjoyed this episode, we would love it if you would leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. You can find Jill at JillRiley.com, on Facebook at JillRiley.Author, Twitter at JillRileyAuthor, and Instagram at JillRiley.Author. Also, feel free to send Jill an email at Jill at JillRiley.org. Thanks for listening in and have a great day.